There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. While it is different now, I bet walking into a locker room back in the day was quite nerve-wracking. I mean, when the Monday Night Wars were on, you were fighting for the competition, and now you want those same guys to try and help you move up the card. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. Many folk were able to walk this death tightrope and figure it out, however, but that also means some didn't at all. I am Simon for What Culture. Please do hit that subscribe button. And this is 10 wrestlers who knew they were doomed on day one. Number 10, the public enemy. Well, this wasn't pleasant, and you can imagine what other ECW wrestlers thought. They saw Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock go to WWF and get absolutely ruined. It didn't look good. It was a bit of a mess as the public enemy had picked WCW over Vince McMahon's company when both made overtures, and doing that in 1996 was always going to put you in someone's bad books. So when they eventually ended up in the World Wrestling Federation in 1999, it felt like something could fall by the wayside, and it did. Amidst the rumors that the tag team were not best liked backstage as they had egos, they were sent out to fight the APA on Sunday Night Heat. My word, they got killed. Go watch this today and your jaw will drop as Bradshaw and Farouk wreck these guys as much as they can. No matter what they were acting like behind the scenes, I do not think this was the answer. It was horrible. When one of your first matches ends like this, though... Well, you know that things are only going to get worse. Number nine, Sin Cara. Rey Mysterio is one of the greatest wrestlers ever. I get that's a weird way to start a list entry about Sin Cara, but it all ties in. Even though his treatment in WWE has always been a bit odd due to his size, WWE knew that Rey was special, especially to the Hispanic market, and they craved this. He tapped into that fan base that was very lucrative, and therefore the powers that be wanted to ensure they had a successor. This is ridiculous straight away because Rey Mysterios don't go on trees, but even then, Sin Cara was a great choice as his work in CMLL spoke for itself, and he soon became Triple H's first major signing once Paul Levesque had taken over that role. He had his debut against Primo in April 2011, and this is when things went bad, because Mr. Cara wasn't his usual smooth self. Now, this could have been nerves one of those nights, or maybe he quite literally slipped, but as this was a Hunter call and not a Vince McMahon one, the man who was really in charge lost interest. Yep. Deciding almost instantly that this was not their new masked hope, plans for the former Mr to work with John Cena in some fashion was shelved. Before you knew it, he was just another guy. It was done that quick. Number 8, Lord Tensai. I tell you when Matt Bloom probably knew this was doomed, when he was told about it on the phone. I mean, come on. It was so ridiculous as Albert had left WWE and turned himself into a monster in Japan, and then for some reason, as soon as he re-signed back in the West, was turned into a massive gimmick. He had Japanese letters written all over his face for some reason, and while this was clearly the A-train, we now had to call him Lord Tensai. Surprisingly, it didn't work. Instead, fans did indeed chant Albert at him, which was not ideal, and during his debut against Alex Riley in 2012, it was quite clear this wasn't going to work, and nothing we could do was going to change. 
change that. Tensai still got his program with Cena, but that was short-lived. This was such a shame. Bloom could have been a classic big man heel, but instead was soon in a comedy tag team with the Funkasaurus. Sometimes wrestling is terrible. Number seven, Jillian Hall. Few wrestlers have ever been given so many ridiculous gimmicks as Jillian Hall. It's a fair play to her for somehow balancing them out as best as she could. And when she debuted as the Fixer in 2005, it actually looked like it could have some legs. She was employed to help Eminem solve their problems, but she also had a massive growth on her face. Yes, you heard that right. The joke, I think, was that she was an image consultant that had image problems, which is so lame I don't know where to start. But look at this picture. Look at it. That thing on her cheek looks like a child tried to make a pot and it all went bad, but their parents still felt obliged to show it off somehow. I mean, it is so terrible. I still cannot believe it almost 20 years later. No one could have done anything with this because it's not possible. And when WWE realized this, they had the boogeyman eat the growth. Hall did go on to do all right with JBL and his crew, but I don't think she ever overcame this. I mean, how could she? Number six, Fantasio. Given all the stupid gimmicks WWE has had over the years, why was there never a magician is an often asked question. Well, the answer is they did have one once, and he lasted about 52 seconds. Fantasio got one match on the 16th of July 1995 edition of Wrestling Challenge, where he ran through Tony DeVito. I wouldn't say that it was anything to write home about, but it wasn't a disaster, because that would have come elsewhere and doomed him to failure. Because as Bruce Pritchard talked about on his podcast, before the magic man had even walked to the ring, he accidentally set fire to the gorilla position and almost killed himself. Apparently, Fantasio was experimenting with some liquid fire and set a curtain ablaze, which almost caused the whole venue to be evacuated. Whoops. Throwing the reaction to Fantasio, which was not great, and he was out the door pretty much the same week. Not sure we should be too surprised. Look at that outfit. He's not going to be main eventing WrestleMania anytime soon, is he? Number five, the Shockmaster. And how could we not, right? We will zoom through it as it's wrestling lore these days, but in case you don't know, WCW booker Dusty Rhodes thought what the company needed to saw was a dude in a shiny Stormtrooper helmet. So he found Fred Ottman, he of Tugboat fame, told him he was going to be the Shockmaster, and that his debut would see him smash through a wall. Sounds all right, I suppose. And yet when he came crashing through, Fred didn't see a step on the floor tripped up, knocked his helmet off as the British Bulldog, who was also in this scene, lost it and laughed right in his face. Poor Ottman had to carry on, so grabbed his headgear and launched into a ludicrous speech, which never would have worked anyway. But this was dead on arrival. The master of shock was a punchline. Fair play to the former tugboat, though. He has made a lot of money off this due to fan conventions and the like. You can't begrudge him that. Smart play. Number four, Bret Hart. None of this makes any sense, and it never will. When Bret Hart left the WWF in 1997, he was the most famous wrestler in the world because his exit had been shrouded in controversy. We all know the story, and we all assumed WCW would capitalize on this, and I swear they did the exact opposite. When he finally did arrive at Starcade, he was the special guest referee for Eric Bischoff versus Larry Sabisco. That's right. Let it flow through your brain. It is the equivalent of 2 plus 2 equals potato. It'll never make any sense. From there, as some had predicted, World Championship Wrestling had no idea what to do with the Hitman. And a combination of that and stupid backstage politics stole away what should have been. Why pay someone millions of dollars and then treat them like anybody else in the roster? I don't know. This was such a waste, and it got worse and worse as it went on. Number three, Dean Douglas. Shane Douglas knew. Of course he knew. Look at this. Because by all accounts, Douglas was quite focused on getting into the WWF as he tried a few times. His most successful period coming in 1995, when he was given the gimmick of The Dean. Yep, he was going to be a wrestling teacher 
who would grade his opponents. I suppose you've got to love it. They would never have got off the ground anyway, as there's no depth there. But the real problem was the Click, who were running the show in the mid-90s, and they did not like Shane. And after he had a poor match with Razor Ramon, that was that. He was toast. By January 1996, his peers were even questioning whether his back injury was legit. Seemed a little unfair. And then he was out the door. He left later that month and just go and find any interview with Shane where he talks about this. I think it's fair to say... He didn't have that good of a time at all. Number two, Michael McGillicuddy. Let us play a game. Brian Danielson has a son. This we know. He grows up, decides he wants to follow in his father's footsteps, signs for WWE, and instead of saying, wow, here is the offspring of one of the greatest wrestlings ever, he gets called, I don't know, Bob Bubbles, and we never even mention the American Dragon's name. Welcome to 2010 and Michael McGillicuddy. For those scratching their head, the future Curtis Axel was Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning's boy, and we did everything possible to pretend that wasn't true. Even the name is ridiculous. What the flub is a McGillicuddy? The real struggle was Michael had to go out of his way to hide his past, which was an effort he should have had to worry about. <laughs> this was so simple. The legendary Hennig family continuing their reign through the industry as yet more technical workers enter it. Even if you had called him Mr. More Perfect, it would have been better than this. Poor Joe Hennig didn't stand a chance. Number one... Mark Merrow. And this wasn't even his fault. As the story goes, though, when Mark Merrow arrived in the WWF in 1996, he did so with his wife Sable. As soon as Vince McMahon saw her, he decided, that's our star. Let's not worry about anything else. The first flipping day. The decision was soon made to make them into a team, and while Merrow did okay, let's not pretend it was anything close to what Sable achieved. She was a true megastar during the Attitude Era, getting mega pops that are crazy to witness these days. And while I'm sure there was a way to split this to try and ensure we got the most out of both well you know the deal we just didn't do that the excitement quickly shifted in one direction so that was that and poor mark merrow was left behind oh dear hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.